So I'll tell you while we're warming up. I edit the podcast, so if you cough, sneeze, burp, whatever, all that will be removed. If you say something and you need to say it again, just repeat the whole sentence, and I'll edit out the part that you mess up on. It's edited for time, and it's some of the content is edited so that you say certain things. You might call me later and be like, take that out. If you have any questions, if you mess up, I mean, just speak as normal as possible, and then it'll be cleaned up. So don't worry about any of that. Any questions before we start? Yes, test out your mic. Make sure that you can hear me real good. Okay, we're about to start. More than just a pretty face. In Their Closet Podcast with Lisa L. Moore. And I'm your host, L. Moore. L's podcast discusses how we feel on the inside versus what is displayed on the outside. These trendsetters challenge you to declutter your mind and alter the way you think. Join the conversation as Elle speaks with guests about couture careers, fashion, love, and labels. I just want to say you are always so supportive. I remember from the first time when I did that first keynote. My agenda is to make well known of the many talented women that I have been blessed to meet and collect over the years. Out of the box dialogue sure to leave a mark on your soul. This is In Their Closet Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Moore, and today we're joined by Don Bowie. Hard work, dedication, and intelligent effort. Three words that have marked the fanciful career of one Don Bowie. Bowie is a chef, taste engineer, and visionary, and has continuously used adversity and opportunity as a launch pad to jumpstart his career choices. Born and raised in Houston, Texas, an early injury put a temporary halt to his collegiate career in Atlanta, Georgia. But Bowie maintained a sense of unwavering determination that brought him to the University of Houston, where he majored in marketing and entrepreneurship. While still in school, Bowie joined his father at Bowie's Country Kitchen as co-owner and marketing manager. As an understudy to restauranteur Rashid Rafael, owner of Red Cat Jazz Cafe and Tasca Kitchen and Wine in downtown Houston. After much success in the kitchen, Bowie decided to take his newfound culinary skills to the next level, and in 2011, Bowie decided to begin a culinary school at Le Cordon Bleu in Atlanta, Georgia. As an understudy for Bravo's Top Chef Season 7 contestant, Chef Tracy Bloom, these successes and accomplishments helped to further expand Bowie's business portfolio and influence. In early 2019, Bowie opened up his own venture, Taste Bar and Kitchen, a crafted cocktail bar and restaurant that serves elevated kitchen and waffles and comfort food. Taste is one of Houston's top restaurant destinations, and Bowie is already working on expanding the concept to Atlanta, New York, and Los Angeles. Bowie also has a new project, Rare Restaurant and Lounge, a steak-focused concept scheduled to open at the end of the year in Houston. Welcome, Don Bowie. Wow, that sounds impressive. <laughs> It does. It sounds impressive. <laughs> We're happy to have you here. I mean, your schedule is crazy. Congratulations on the success of the new restaurant. And of course, on Taste Bar, it's one of my favorite places for brunch. It's hard to get in there, though. It's not that hard. You just got to know someone. Know someone. <laughs> you know, I know somebody now. Exactly. Um, whenever people come into Houston, they're always asking me about restaurants to visit. Your restaurant is one of the places that I go. And I always tell them when like I'm describing places, telling them like what you should wear. If you're going to attend, pl- sometimes people ask me, what should I wear? Your restaurant gives me an Atlanta feel. For some reason, I feel like I am back in Bucket. I lived in Bucket for a little while as an mm-hmm. intern at CNN. 
it reminds me back in the days of Shark Bar. It reminds me of like that hype when it was like people everywhere. You could go get some good music, get some good food, no matter what time it was. Right. And then I read your background and saw that you come from Atlanta as well. Mm-hmm. How much of an influence was that those restaurants in Atlanta to what you've brought to Houston? Um, I mean, all of it was an influence mm-hmm. from restaurants in Atlanta, like Shark Bar, uh, Shark Bar in New York. <laughs> I mean, taste is kind of a culmination of my experiences being in Atlanta, New York, and L.A. Mm-hmm. And kind of, and then also my roots in Houston kind of culminated into one spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all of those energy and vibes. I mean, I've spent time kind of coming up in those, I guess that was in the early 2000s to 2010s. Like yeah. venturing out and going to spaces like that and then being like, man, it's not a lot of that back here in Houston. Uh, so, yeah, you hit it right on the money. Those are all of those and my food travels compiled into one. Yeah. I love Atlanta because <clears throat> when you go, well, when I was young and I wouldn't go visit often, there's a place for us. Mm-hmm. We've got several restaurants in Houston now, which the restaurant market has tremendously upgraded. We didn't mm-hmm. used to have all these places where we could visit downtown or even Black-owned establishments. What has changed in our city for all this to have happened? Um, well, I would say the the only big change in my eyes is the number of Black-owned establishments. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I lived downtown in 2000, 2001 when I was uh, a part of the whole Redcast situation. Mm-hmm. And there were tons of restaurants and eateries downtown. Mm-hmm. A lot of them didn't survive when downtown was going through all the rebuild for the Metro Rail. Yeah. And that ran a lot of businesses out. But okay. prior to that, there were tons. Like, uh, there was Red Cat right next door. Rashid had Tosca, and they were booming. Okay. Uh, so it's always been there. So for me, it's just the influx of the amount of black-owned spots. Okay. When it comes to restaurant, bars, and nightclubs here. Uh that I think we take for granted, and then I go to other places. I'm just like, man, it's not the same here. Even in spots like Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, you would think that per capita square mile that they would have more, but no. I mean, if you compare the amount of black-owned service industry spots in Dallas, L.A., New York, Houston is kind of up there when it comes to that category. Yeah. I, I feel like it's very successful, and I'm happy mm-hmm. to be a part of the influencer campaign to be able to tell people where to go. But I'm really happy that there are lots of restaurants that I love and great food. And then you've got a great menu at Taste Bar. I mean, I love greens. I love <laughs> waffles. You've got good stuff there. And the food tastes like my mama made it. It doesn't feel like it just came rushed out of the kitchen. Right. No. So it's nice. No, that was the uh, plan. I mean, when the taste opportunity came up, um, you know, I I I moved back to Houston with the intent of at some point I want to open up a spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was always finding the right location. Uh, when I found a location, I didn't really have the whole concept of taste mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Um, I think I might have had a name at the time. And it wasn't until I got the spot, saw the kitchen layout, and it was like, okay, now what is taste going to be? And it was, I literally just started thinking, okay, what do I think Houston's missing? Um, I think I Googled top chicken and waffle spots in the city, mm-hmm. looked, read the list of 10, and was like, man, I know I can at least beat eight of those. Mm. And I kind of took that concept and then all the things or popular items that I had done from consulting and being other places, and was like, I'm just going to put it all on one menu, and the, and the concept's going to be just food that tastes good. Yeah. It was really that, it wasn't that, that deep of a thought <laughs> process. Yeah. So... 
everyone listening, now you guys know who Don Bowie is. He's the restaurateur of Taste Bar. We're going to rewind a little bit and we're going to talk about him before Taste Bar. So I, I listed a few of your credentials. Um, you got 400,000 views for your own show, which was a show that was featured on the OWN Network. I want to talk about that a little bit. I did not know that you were, I'm going to say that's reality TV because that's a real situation that's taking place. But I didn't know that you were on the OWN Network. No, I didn't know that you were on TV. No, I, I mean, I've been on TV, but it wasn't with that. So, but that 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 section of time was mm-hmm. the thing that transitioned me into even thinking about going to color. So what it was, that's when uh, the own network was getting ready to launch, and they were looking for content. I remember. So, of course, I mean, I had no interest. I had no thought of anything okay. coming here. But at the time, you know, I was dating my son's mother, uh, and I used to cook all the time. Mm-hmm. And a friend of theirs, a friend of ours, was kind of a, you know, he would do videos and stuff. Okay. And he was like, man, I always wanted to do a cooking video. We should do one for this own competition. Okay. Whatever, man. I, sure, whatever you need me to do. So literally in the apartment complex we were staying in, we go downstairs, we shoot this video. And at this point in time, I have done no culinary anything, mm-hmm. like besides cooking for myself. I mean, yeah, when I used to work at my, you know, my dad at his spot mm-hmm. um, and at Red Cat, like I would never go in the kitchen. Like I'm like, I'm not cooking this. That's what okay, my so did. you were doing the marketing side then. I was. Okay, you yeah. were not, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. I was not fooled with it. I was like, well, thank you for that clarity. You know, I was like, my dad would try to encourage me, and people would always be like, man, you always love cooking. Ah. Like, at that point in time, I didn't see a future in being in the kitchen. Oh I literally God. would avoid it. Now, I would go in there for me, like if I wanted to make something differently, or even when I was at Red Cat, uh-huh. I would go in there and cook me something to eat, but I wouldn't get involved in any of that. Just wasn't, I didn't see any future in it. So when this video came, like now I go back and watch the video, and I'm just like, man, I look like a rookie. Look terrible. <laughs> look at my knife skills. All that looks terrible. Like, why did I garnish oh it like that? Like, what was I doing with that rosemary? I'm like, my God, what is that? But literally, we just shot that video. We submitted it, and I thought nothing of it. And it was like, all right, cool. We're going to try to vote. And what ended up happening is it ended up being like one of the top videos in the competition. Like, ended up getting like over 400,000 votes. And it was me, uh, another good friend of mine now, who uh, Darius, who does um, what's the thing? He's a yeah, cooking with Darius. He does the tours. <laughs> but Darius is in the competition. Um, and, a, and a few other people who are now relevant in the culinary industry. But we were wow. just like, all right. Propelled your career. Show. Right. Yeah. And then it was from that where I recognized one thing. I was like, man, for whatever reason, people really pay attention to meat and cooking. Huh. So it was like, all right, well, maybe I need to dive in that to a little further. So then the situation came up and it was like, all right. Some some kind of way I looked into culinary school and I was like, right, if I can go to culinary school and don't have to pay for it, then I'll do it. But it literally got inspired from me doing the video that I had no intention of doing. Wow. Uh, and then it just kind of, the story kind of started from there. Very random. So that's an expensive school, um, Cordon Bleu. Mm-hmm. And you were able to get in there, what, on a scholarship? No, I mean, they do financial aid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, you know, so you were able to put off the payment. Correct. Okay. Oh, what, let me think. Did I ever pay for? I don't even know. <laughs> trying to remember if I even paid that. Uh, wow. So you started later in live cooking. This wasn't even something yeah, that. No, at this point, I'm in my thirties. Right. Like, this is 2000 and 
son was born in 2010. So this is like 2009, 2010. Wow. Yeah. So this is all, whoa, this is all very new. This is a new realm in your life right. and it has just took off. And I'm proud of that. I've been in the music business for seven years. So oh, my goodness. I traveled the world, the country, working with, you know, me and, me and I had worked on part of Brian Cox's management team. <laughs> we were business partners. So mm-hmm. I was coming from that and had no intention of going into I literally went from <clears throat> being in publishing and management to deciding to go to culinary school, going to work for Tracy at a at a restaurant in uh, what is that Camp Creek or whatever it was, mm-hmm. making twelve dollars an hour, coming from you know six figure years in the music business. But my mindset was always anytime I ventured into a new industry, it was like, all right, get in and learn everything that you can as fast yeah. as possible. So I didn't really look at it as, oh, I'm taking a job for twelve dollars. It was like, oh. Somebody paying me $12 to learn how to mm. be in the back of the house. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing it for free. Uh, so, you know, it just went from that. And I just kind of dived right into it. I had never worked. Again, I'd worked in restaurants, but I'd never worked in kitchens. So even yeah. when I interviewed with Tracy, you know, Tracy's every bit of five foot two, you know, funny as hell. She try to act tough. She's walking around. She's like, if you can keep up, cool. I'm like, all right, shit, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, I just kind of dived into it. So I was going to culinary school at night. I would work at the restaurant during the day, and that was five days a week. I did that for about a year, and then somewhere halfway through it, I took over a kitchen in a strip club. So then it would be <laughs> culinary. I mean, I would work at the kitchen during the day, the restaurant. I would go to culinary school. I would leave culinary school. I'd go to the strip club. Oh, my goodness. Right. This was in Atlanta? This is in Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> and I did. I ran that schedule until I fell asleep driving one day. Oh, my goodness. In the middle of the day, like 2 o'clock in the day. And then I was like, all right, I got to cut something. So I was like, uh, I'm making more money at the strip club, so I had to <laughs> cut this restaurant <laughs> during the day. Uh, and by that point, fast forward, I had kind of worked my way into a space where they was like, man, we don't really want you to leave because you're doing, you know, I was doing all the pastry stuff. And they were like, yo, we don't. At the like, strip club? No, this was at, at the restaurant where okay. she was like, if you can keep up. So okay. by the time it got to the point when I was like, hey, I need to focus on culinary school and you know, running this kitchen at night. Uh, they were just like, man, can you at least come in two times a week and make all the desserts or something? Like, don't just leave. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so I did that. So then it turned to strip club six days a week and culinary school at night. I don't know if my listeners have been to Atlanta to a strip club, but they're, they're Atlanta is known for their strip clubs. Mm-hmm. When I first moved to Atlanta to intern, my girlfriends took me to a place. They said, do you want to go to the GC tonight? I said, yeah. They did. I didn't know what the GC was. Well, right. the GC stood for the Gentleman's Club. Mm-hmm. But we went there to get something to eat. Yeah. And we had the best fried chicken. We, ha- I mean, like, we had a full meal with, like, people dancing on stage. Yeah. No, that's that's the thing. Like, you're not a, you're not a good strip club in Atlanta if you don't have good food. Right. GC is kind of the club that started that whole uh. situation in Magic City followed, like, the food there. And so that's what kind of happened at this particular spot. At the time, it was called Kamal's 21, but it used to be Platinum. Mm-hmm. And the people that was running the kitchen, it wasn't working. And it was like, yo, we need something that's going to come in and, and work. And a friend of mine knew the, the same the same friend, Picasso, who hooked me up with Tracy, hooked me up with <laughs> the strip club. So I went in there. Literally on a on a whim on a weekend, had never ran a kitchen from back of the house before. Yeah. Created a menu, so I just kind of went in there like, all right, I'm a, I put together this super big menu that made no sense. Uh, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna be doing 
fried, whole fried piece of the chicken. And that first weekend, we got murdered, but people love the food. <laughs> but it was like after that weekend, the people that own the club, they were like, yo, we yeah. did it. You know, that's like what we got to do to keep moving forward. And I was like, simple. I'm going to keep all the money I make. Y'all do what y'all do. I ain't paying no rent. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, y'all need me. I don't need y'all. Like, yeah. And they were like, all right, cool. We'll do that. So it was like, cool. Let me sit up here. But what it did was it gave me a chance to even immerse myself even more into kind of back of the house and running the line and creating menus and, mm-hmm. you know, working different stations, understand how it flowed. Because it was like a one-man kitchen. So mm-hmm. I went from <clears throat> at the other restaurant, I was doing prep and working salads. And then I come to the strip club, I'm working sauteed grill. I'm doing pastas. I'm frying all by myself. So Mm-mm. doing that for about, I don't know, it might have been seven to, seven to nine, ten months. Wow. Like I got really efficient to understanding how this works. And that, that was part of the process. And then it'll be some nice shoot. We did, I did better than the girls were doing. Because, you know, <laughs> I mean, because you think about it, the club could be dead, but there's still going to be 20 girls there and they still want to eat. So I'm like, whether the club dead or not, is people are still in there ordering food. Or people would come order food and leave. Right. Not my problem. So you learned a lot of your skills, just like hands-on experience, basically. Oh, always, yeah. So you've got that experience from working there in Atlanta. But you talked about some restaurants here in Houston. Mm-hmm. When you came to Houston, I've heard of some restaurants that you've worked at. Worked and created menus for a lot of the establishments here in our city. Mm-hmm. How did you determine... Or is there, do you go to a restaurant and then just decide, like, this is the kind of food that should be here? Is there a theme? Like, how does that come together? Um, well, it depends on, I mean, all the different products I've been in, they were kind of in, in different stages. So I originally came back to Houston working with Sweetie Pies. Yeah. But I was living in L.A. at the time. I had just got out of a relationship, which I had kind of put, I had, before, prior to that, when I was in New York, I had a restaurant, moved to L.A., put the culinary stuff on the Back burner kind of got back into the music business, dealing with my ex. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, after that, I kind of met the guy, Tim, from Sweetie Pies one day, just randomly shopping. Uh, and the only reason I recognized him because I remember I would came home for the holidays like the year before, and my nephew kept saying, hey, man, you like this dude on TV. Talking about. <laughs> I was like, man, what are, you, what are you talking about? So I finally, I'm like, let me watch this show. And I see Tim, and I'm like, I do not look right. like this guy. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you know, he's two totally different. I said, we got the same skin color. So when I saw him, you know, I induced myself, and I said, man, it's just funny. My nephew think we look alike. And he was like, eh. we both kind of brushed it off. And so he kind of told me exactly what I was doing at the time. I was consulting for this school program, and he was telling me what he had going on. He was like, man, you know, when you get some channels kind of connect. Um, he had mentioned that they were opening, trying to work on opening something in Houston. Uh-huh. So when I kind of was in this space in L.A. where I was like, man, do I want to stay in L.A.? Do I want to go back to Atlanta? Do I want to go to Houston? Uh, let me try to figure it out. And I was like, oh, I remember Tim said he wanted to do something in Houston. So I was like, let me see if that's an opportunity for me to go to Houston, figure out if I like the energy of being back while somebody else is paying for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the time, they were working on two locations, one in Hollywood and one in Houston. That's when Super Bowl was here. Okay. Uh, so, you know, so that kind of that project kind of brought me back. And what's funny is when we did open the one here and people would come, a lot of people thought we looked alike. I was, yeah. What the hell are y'all talking about? We told two totally different sides. If you squint a little bit. No, I mean, I'm talking about even from, like, guests. Even his mom was kind of like, y'all do this? I was like, man, y'all tripping. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, so, no. So, that particular situation, they had a base menu, mm-hmm. which is kind of like soul food cafeteria style. Yeah. They wanted to move into, um, like, full service. So, 
for that particular project. Like, all right, I needed to come up with some stuff that can kind of complement the soul food menu for something that was going to be a little bit more food service. So, you know, adding different dishes that we added to the menu. So it was kind of based on that. Like, a lot of times it's me trying to fulfill what, what it is that they're looking for when it's a different project. So it was that with Sweetie Pies. It was that with the uh, with the address, that was, which is probably the biggest project that I yeah. worked on here that people kind of uh, attached me to. And that was the same situation. It was like, all right, let me look at the scene. Let me see what y'all are trying to do. All right, here's what I think works. And luckily for me, normally it works. You don't have, like, a particular niche. You can do anything. Well, yeah. I mean, that was one of the benefits of, you know, going to culinary school. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I say that I learned more from working with Tracy and, you know, the project of dealing with the strip club mm -hmm. in regards to know-how. Mm -hmm. But culinary school kind of taught me, like, the... The, the history and the mythology behind certain things, you know what I'm saying, from the same way that you make a the Southern gravy that we grew up eating is the same basis to how you're making a lot of other mother sauces and understanding what those things are to kind of give me that ability to kind of go back and forth through different genres of food and understanding the complication of it. So, so yeah. So your successes and accomplishments made your portfolio a portfolio that was able to be a reach as far as an influence. You have, it says here that you've worked with Jermaine Dupree, mm -hmm. T.I., Jazzy Faye, Shaquille O'Neal, Polo to Don, Raheem Devon, Gucci Man, athletes, media personalities. This is from your career as in music, as um, a Houstonian, as mm -hmm. an Atlantan. How were you able to reach these people? Um, the good thing about Atlanta, like I said, I transitioned in the, the culinary world from being in the music business. Mm -hmm. So I had really formed a lot of good relationships from that, mm -hmm. that still being in the city. Like I said, the one thing I say about restaurants is that it's a language that everybody speaks. Yeah. That everybody tell that everybody's a foodie, which I still yeah. don't know what, <laughs> I still don't know what being a foodie means. We like food. <laughs> everybody claims to be a foodie. I'm like, well, if you eat food, I guess that means you're a foodie. <laughs> so it was kind of an easy transition. So like with Jermaine, him and Brian, you know, have worked together for, since the beginning of Brian's career. Mm -hmm. So when I transitioned into culinary and he was going into a vegan diet, mm -hmm. I was consulting a spot after I left the strip club in Atlanta. It was kind of a bistro slash car wash where a lot of celebrities went to get their car washed. Oh, so, my gosh. They'd get their car washed and have something to eat? Correct. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like a cooler concept, <laughs> but it was a guy that used to come to the strip club who was kind of friends with the owners. And when I left, he was like, hey, man, I'm trying to. I love that Here's idea, actually. Going on. So, I mean, literally, you would go in there, you would see Shaq, you know, P.I. and the kids would come. I mean, everybody, still even wow. to this day, because I live not too far from there, that's just like the main hub where everybody goes to get their car washed, and then you can get something to eat. So, I had started doing some vegan meals. I think I'd put, like, a vegan sloppy joe on that menu. Mm. Um, and then one year, Jermaine, for Thanksgiving, they normally would go out somewhere, but I think his daughter broke her arm during that year, and he was like, we can't go, so we was going to do it at the house. But he was like, I don't want my mom to cook. Said, so do you mind coming in doing like a traditional Thanksgiving <laughs> and doing a, doing a whole different vegan setup for him? And I was like, uh, all right, sure. And I hate doing private chef stuff. That is one thing. Where, wow. Uh, Why? Um, Does it move know. slower? Was that? And it's just, uh, I'm an introvert by nature. Oh. So I kind of have to be in that space and kind of deal with a lot of that one-on-one -on -one stuff. It's just not really my forte. And hmm. then sometimes when you deal with one particular client, especially sometimes you know, people of affluence, they can be extremely picky. Oh, yeah. And my demeanor just not set up for it. Mm, that's so, interesting. Uh, my girlfriends and I hired a private chef for our Friendsgiving. 
And I know he that guy heard a mouthful. He was like over there minding his own business, right. making our plates, plating everything beautifully. But we were talking about all kind of stuff. And I know he, that's what I thought you were going to say. I don't want to mm-hmm. hear or see things that are like in a private setting. Oh, no, that part don't bother me. Yeah. Um, so the concept for a restaurant with, um, you know, getting your car washed, I mean, that sounds amazing. But you said a name and you've said it a couple of times. So I want to come back to that name, Brian Michael Cox. Mm-hmm. Brian Michael Cox is a Houstonian. He went to Atlanta. Miami? Yeah. Yes, blew up. Um, a, a lot of songs that we sing down here. And then he comes he comes through Houston a lot and does some DJing. So he he's a familiar person. But there are a lot of connections that our city has. And then I noticed that you came from Eisenhower High School. Mm-hmm. So Eisenhower has produced a lot of great people. Mm-hmm. Trade of Truth, Slim Thug, mm-hmm. Cormo, super producer. Known him forever. <laughs> we grew up together. Yeah. Troublesome, my sister. My very close friend of mine, she's a therapist. Yes, Yvette Dumas. We graduated together. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I was going to bring yeah. up Yvette. Yeah. Um, who else? Um, Eisenhower produced a lot of good people. Counselor Amanda Edwards. Yes. Eisenhower. What's going on at Eisenhower back in the, uh, what was that, 94, 95, 96? Like 96, 97. I mean, that almost, a lot of y'all came out almost right around the same years. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. No, we put a lot of talent over there. (laughs) So you have lived, I'm going to say, like you've lived in a public spotlight for a while now. Unintentionally. Unintentionally. Very much so. Um, But are you like backing away from that? place do you like to be in the background or uh I, typically i do okay like, that's always kind of been my demeanor like i said i'm an introvert by nature uh, but i would say now i'm actually kind of trying to embrace it more trying to embrace the spotlight more and yeah from the sense of i understand what it does for you know branding and building of a business mm-hmm. and creating a an identity and a yeah. and stuff to that degree um and also using it for a platform you know, for other things. Like right now, I'm in the process of launching my uh, nonprofit foundation. And I know that the bigger the platform, the bigger the following, the more you're able to kind of the community. So, you know, I'm not driven by it. I just understand the importance. So recently you, um, I saw you because you were on a public platform. I saw you on my Instagram feed. It was a live event that was taking place at BMW. Can we talk about that? You said recently, like it was like... Well, not recently. <laughs> right. I thought you were talking about... Probably the, in the last the couple of years. That was that was almost three, four years ago. Yeah. No, I'm, I've never... Like I said, I've never been against it. I'm yeah. Just, I've just never been, like, driven by it, in a sense. So when opportunities presented themselves, it's not like I just kind of shied away from it. Like I said, dealing with the years that me and Brian worked together, mm-hmm. you know, we were a part of two or three different reality shows. Okay. Um, See, I didn't know that. Yeah. We were on... Well, more so him than me. I mean, I would have very small glimpses of, of, of TV time, but it was when Monica had a TV show, you know, we were on there a couple of scenes when we did a lot of making a band, you know, three seasons of that. We had a project on VH1 called uh, Project Man Band, which was like all the 80s boy bands put into a group, which was oh, wow. a one-season situation. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, things like that. So. I just, it's just not something, like, I don't, I've never been a person that growing up was like, oh, I want to be famous. Yeah. I understand the the benefit of being, like I said, in that spotlight, but it's never been. You've lived a lot of lives. A lot of lives, a lot of careers. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
like even as you touched on the, the the BMW situation, like that was me coming out of a very super public relationship. Yeah, so I, I wanted to have a conversation with you about that because we did have someone on our show come on and talk about it. And of course the viewers came up to me in Houston. That was a holiday weekend. So I got to see a lot of people I wouldn't normally see. Mm -hmm. Listen to those listeners come up to me and say, I know Don, and you should talk to Don. And so Don's here. <laughs> so marriage is hard. I mean, I was married for 17 years. We met when I was 25. We had a great relationship for as long as it was great. And then we started to work on it when it wasn't, you know, performing as well as we thought it should have. Right. But eventually, because I didn't want to be this bitter, mean, ugly person, I felt like this was my time to leave just so that whatever my future holds, I can still have some resemblance of who I am as a person. Right. Um, it's it's tough to make that decision, but sometimes it's necessary. Agreed. And we did hear parts of why this person thought that that was the right decision for them. Without, We don't have to go into too much detail, but in regards to marriage and in regards to what your situation came to be, like, what do you have to say about that? Because I interviewed you guys on the red carpet. You guys dressed alike. You looked great. What red carpet were we on? You were on, you came to Pep Houston. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. You had the Aldo shoes on. You had right. the deep velvet or burgundy purple. It was purple. Uh -huh. Yeah. I remember. forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I have it. It's a part of my list of credentials of people on red carpet. I didn't know you were going to be uh, Taste Kitchen, but. Right, no. <laughs> Yeah, but you've evolved a lot. Like, at that time, you didn't even have a restaurant yet. No, I didn't. But here, but here's the, the crazy thing, though. Everything that I had in my mind to do before I came back to Houston, like my initial plan outside of coming back, getting married, all that, mm -hmm. has happened. Like, almost to a T. And all your on, goals? And on the schedule in which I had it in mind. Did you have a vision board? No, the vision was in my head. <laughs> Yeah. If you can see it in your head, then you can, it'll right. come. Yeah, I was one of those people in school. I didn't, I didn't show my work on my math problems. <laughs> I just wrote the answer down. There. It was like, well, I see it. So all like, right, all right. That same situation. But no, but back to the marriage thing, though. So, um, Well, one of the reasons why, because we met you in season one of the podcast. We didn't know who you were, but we met you because of mm -hmm. what was being said about you, which was you were this great guy. You were ready to get married. You wanted to date with a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, this is Houston, Texas. A lot of us are raised, traditionally raised with a spiritual background. That's music to everybody's ears that's listening to the podcast. Like, I want to get married. I've met this great guy. He's ready, you know, to be married and he's committed. Boom, let's go. Then we watch the wedding. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Boom. And then there's a restaurant opening. Like, everything just looks amazing. Right. Looks like the fairy tale. It looks beautiful. We're watching it. We're watching you guys travel to Paris. You know, things are looking great. Right. Well, that's normally how it goes. Though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the outside looking in, which, I mean, it's just, uh, and, it, and what I realize is that it doesn't have to be the way that it is. And I say that saying that, like, my whole motivation for getting married, like, it wasn't the most storybook situation. Like, it wasn't even, like, this beautiful proposal kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, in my last relationship, I ended up leaving New York, going to L.A., my birthday before I got married, and living with the, the person that I was dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. He was a very spiritual person, and 
I will say that relationship really helped me in my spiritual walk because, you know, since she was a very, like, she she lived it on a daily basis, which was good for me, especially coming from the point in life that I was in New York, moving out there, had a restaurant out there, and kind of just being in the streets, like, newly single, restaurant. My business partner was a movie star. I was out there being dumb. Um, and then I meet this person with this great energy, you know, spiritually grounded, and we live together. And but towards the end of the relationship, I just realized I was like, man, this is the second or might have been the second or third time that I'd lived with somebody. And I was like, now being in the posture that I was in, I was like, I'm not doing that again. Mm-hmm. Because next time I live with somebody, we're gonna have to be married so that there's a found a spiritual foundation on the relationship so it can be successful. I said, because maybe that's the reason why these last three situations didn't work because the foundation wasn't there. So then fast forward uh, to me meeting my, my ex-wife. Uh, you know, we're dating. It's super early. But a lot of things that I, at that time, envisioned that I wanted in a partner. Mm-hmm. And after, like, watching her from afar from a long period of time, I was like, man, this seems like the, the type of woman that I would want to be into and be with. Mm-hmm. And then we finally meet and we connect and the energy's great. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, I'm still living back and forth between L.A. and Houston. I still had an apartment in L.A. And then when I came to Houston, I would either stay with my mom, I would stay with my sister because I was still in between. Yeah. And then me and her started dating, so then there would be times that I'm staying with her. Um, and then I was looking for apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, she would go with me to look at apartments. And then one day, I think I was evaluating some of them, and she was just kind of like, like, what, what you getting an apartment for? Like, Either I'm going to be at your spot or you're going to be at mine. Yeah. I'll just move in here. And I was like, man, like I really, I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad at the idea because I knew there was truth to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I do enjoy being around a person. But I was like, I told myself, I said, oh, I'm not doing that again. So I was like, look, I'm going to put it like this. Either we're going to be all the way into this <laughs> or we're going to take our time. Meaning that I'm either going to get an apartment and we're going to, let it grow naturally. Mm-hmm. Or we finna just go and go all the way in and we just need to go and get Wow. You know, and that was really the, that's where the <laughs> conversation came. And, you know. I want to interject here, though, because she had been praying and asking God right. for a husband. And the dinner, the date was with Pastor John Gray. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... She she shared with us how she prayed and then she asked God for a sign so that she would know and then you yeah kissed her hand yeah so then when you come back then when you're saying like I think we should get married do you understand how this sounds well, like so here's the thing though I don't even to this day I don't think that necessarily the situation of us being married was wrong or that it wouldn't work mm-hmm. just like you can put LeBron and Anthony Davis on the team of like, oh, they're going to win a championship. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Yeah. Depends on the progression of where they are. Now, yeah. on paper, should they win? Yes. Yeah. On I paper, got does it work? Yes. So I, I still don't think that it was a bad match. It was just a particular point that we were in our lives and the growth period of it. Yeah. And, and neither one of us knowing it at that time that there was additional growth that needed to happen. Yeah. Or, in a different, or having a different vision on what marriage really was. You know? Um, so it was that. So, and it was, and it wasn't a, and I wasn't into it. Like, I was all the way into it. Yeah. I was really like, if I'm in, like, we in. Like, I'm locking in, cut everything out, and, you know, and, you know, men are very sensitive. So, at that point in time, once we had kind of crossed that threshold, it'd been like, and she was like, all right, cool. And then it was like, just promise me one thing that I still can do the big wedding. Because people don't realize we got married that same year. 
Mm. That BMW wedding was a year later. We were already married. Yeah. We got married at our dad's church, me, her, and him. You're listening to In Their Closet Podcast, the number one fashion podcast in Houston, Texas. You guys got married four months into the relationship? Um, seven. Yes, it was, um, yep, it was four months later. So you eloped, and then you had a public wedding later for all your friends and family to to come. And And to fulfill, I mean, that was, again, that was a, uh, a desire she had. I, I, it didn't really matter to me. The I'm funny thing is, is that that was my, that was also my thing. My ex-husband and I, we married really quickly. We dated for three years, but we married four months later. I planned this big wedding. Got it. So in that four months of planning the wedding, even though we were already married, we probably would not have gotten married with all the stress of planning that wedding. It was so stressful coming up with that money that fast. Right. Um, but weddings are stressful. They don't. See, nothing, <laughs> nothing has to be stressful, though. And the reason, Weddings and are let me stressful. Tell you what, but again, it's stressful because people make them stressful, just like anything else. Is running a restaurant stressful? Not to me. Okay. Because I accept the the, the nuances of what comes along with it. So okay. a lot of times people will be like, yo, you don't seem like you're stressed about anything. I say, yeah, because I come in every day expecting the kitchen to burn down. And if it don't, good day. If it do, <laughs> I, I was ready for it. So Weddings add a lot of stress to a couple, so. Well, but see, but again, so when when that happened, mm-hmm. and at this point in time, like, we all know that she's very great at uh, event planning. Yeah. I mean, she's, a, she's such a creative person, period. Yes. And this would be one of my things, like, yo, you are, you are way bigger than the industry that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always, I always, from day one, had two goals. One, it was to help evolve the business that she's in now to a place to where she would be able to make money whether she showed up or not. Yeah. And then the other thing was, how do I get her to grow and expand to all these other areas that I know she's super talented in? Not because I'm guessing at it, but because of the industry and history that I've been in working with, you know, stylists and creative people and watching them working and watching her being like, you just happen to be in the wrong city. Had you been in New York, Atlanta, mm. LA, you would be in a whole different stratosphere because I don't know if I've met anybody that has the creative eye that you have. Yeah. Like, it's insane. And then being able to do from makeup to design to, mm-hmm. I'm like, I just haven't seen it. Interior I, design. Right. So I'm like, I, I know people right now who this is what they're doing. They're some of the best in the business. And I still don't think they're as creative as you are. Right. But it's just, they just happen to be like the leap. So that was one of the things. So when it happened, we could, we had did a, a love talk, talk, love talks brunch. Like the year before. Oh, I remember that. Right. That's right. And and probably a couple other events. No matter what the event was, she was a person that she would zone all the way in. Mm-hmm. And during that time period, nothing else mattered. Okay. And so I only had one request. I said, you know what? You can have your big wedding. I said, just don't make the wedding bigger than the relationship. Yeah. I said, that's the only request that I have. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I'm like, yo, we still, like I said, at that point in time, my mindset was we just got married. I have a wife. So my focus is, you know, I got a wife, I got a partner now. All this stuff in my mind of what a wife's supposed to be and husband's supposed to be, I'm on that. So I'm like, to be in that mindset, and then the majority of the energy and conversation is about a wedding for a couple that's already married. I was like, I don't want it to, yeah. don't let that be the focus. You can do whatever you want to do. I don't, I don't care. Only thing I cared about. Me being in my mind was budget, right? I was yeah. Like, All right, that's, <laughs> that's what guys always care about. Well, I mean, because yeah, I mean, because I'm a practical <laughs> The money. <laughs> but that, and also because I'm thinking about, 
again, like I told you, my goal was I knew I came back to eventually open up a space. Yeah. I'm seeing the value. And so I'm like, yo, it makes no sense to spend yeah. too much money when there's tangible things that we need to put money into, right? Absolutely. So we kind of agreed with the first wedding planner. We kind of agreed on a tentative budget. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if all Virgos are like this. I know I am. I'm a person that once we say something, it shouldn't change unless we talk about changing it. So if we say, I think at that time we agree, don't get me wrong, I might be off. We might have said, all right, budget for the wedding going to be $35,000. Right. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, all right, cool. <clears throat> get the 35000 So, you know, me being creative and being cheap and her also being creative, that's how, you know, one day stuck over in Miami. During that time, I was uh, working with BMW as like this special event chef for this driving thing that they would do. So I would go to different cities. People would drive cars. I'll do a cooking demo, mm-hmm. whatever. So we got stuck in Miami coming back from, I think, Cuba or something. Um, and the guy who was the cultural person for BMW got stuck there too. So we were out one night drinking, and I think we had talked about the idea of maybe trying to do it at a dealership. And I was like, fuck it, I don't care. Right now they give me money. I'm just going <laughs> to ask him. And I asked him, and he was like, I ain't mad at it. Let me talk to my one of the dealerships in, in Houston. So come to find out. <laughs> BMW West was like, cool. We're not gonna charge you for the space. Wow. In my mind, that thirty-five thousand included the space. Paying for a space. Okay. So now I'm like, boom. Save money. You just save money. <laughs> right? And in her mind, she's like, ooh, now we have extra money. Right. See, there was no there was no there wasn't communication, wasn't there? Men and so women my, think different. Right. So then, I mean, it's it kind of the for the sake of time to cut it short. Now the venue was free. They end up giving us some money. They ended wow. up sponsoring like fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars. Hmm. But at that point, I'm like, boom. Normal, More money saved. Normal venue would have been about <laughs> 15, 20 grand. Yeah. Now we got a now I'm like, technically we at thirty-five thousand right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, the venue's covered. Wow. This fifteen should cover a lot of other ancillary stuff. I was at the address at the time. So I'm like, I know that I'm gonna do some of the food. Mm-hmm. Then we got some restaurants to sponsor. She had a relationship with um one of the guys that's the GM over at uh, what's the what's the steak spot in the Galleria? Steak Forty Eight. No, it's right in the mall. Um, uh, it's inside the mall. Yes, Del Frisco's. Oh, okay, okay. So I, you know, really good friend of us used to work for. He was like, "Cool, we'll be one of the sponsors." So they wow. donated two apps. It was like crab cakes and something else. Uh, I got a relationship when we did another event at Uzu Bay. Uzu Bay was like, "All right, we will." Not Uzu Bay. Um, it's another spot in the mall. I can't think of the name of. They donated food, uh, and then it. You know, for what was coming from me, I was like, should we just paying the cost? So the food budget was really like $3,000. But we had four national restaurants. We had the jerk lamb chops. (laughs) One thing that people talk about the wedding the most is like, yo, the food was so amazing. Mm -mm. Literally, the food was $3,000. Wow. NSC sponsored champagne and um, alcohol. So it was like so many things that was taken care of. It sounds like a lot of favor. It did. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. But some kind of way. The budget still kept going <laughs> above the 35 <laughs> with all of this stuff. Oh, my God. The dress, Even after stuff is being comped. Correct. Wow. The dress, I think, was 7500 We had two bands. Mm-hmm. It was just stuff where I was like, I get it, but was it necessary? And yeah. it was a situation of the biggest thing. The one thing I, I, I can go on talking about this experience fairly. The biggest thing I learned is about communication. Yeah, for sure. So what started happening was, she was t- coming with a lot of details on stuff, and I would be like, hey, 
I don't care what the colors are. I yeah. don't care what the flowers are. Don't talk to me about it. Yeah. Just deal with it. The <laughs> only thing I want to know about is the budget. So she internalizes, oh, okay, I don't have to talk to you about anything. So then I would get an updated budget and be like, Wait. well, you told me not to talk to you about it. No, 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 no. I said right. don't talk to me about the details of the decor. Mm-hmm. The budget we talk about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it wasn't a thing of, it in my mind, it didn't matter who paid for it. It was still, that's not the mindset of us being married. It should gotcha. be, if we're agreeing that this is what we're spending, yeah. if that changes, we should talk about it. Okay. So we're both one. So it doesn't matter if I have an extra 20000 in my bank account to spend because we're both one. The 20000 is ours. We've agreed. We're not touching that. So I understand what you're saying. So at least, or at least to be like, here's what we're using it for as a unit. Okay. So that caused a lot of dissension, you know, mm-hmm. in the beginning. And for me, again, obviously first marriage, um, maybe my third most like serious relationship, but nothing this serious. So in my yeah. mind, I'm trying to move how I think you should move, like in a in a wedding as a husband, and not knowing what to be offended by, how to re- how to respond to certain things. So I internalize a lot of stuff, which mm-hmm. I know now is the worst thing in the, in yeah. the world to do. Because you're processing something and it's doing nothing but just kind of festering. Yeah. Um, so the process of that thing just kind of really, you know, by the time we got to the wedding, it was just like, man, this, it, I'm not, I wasn't feeling just so jovial about yeah. it. It was just kind of like, all right. How long did you guys plan for that wedding? Almost a year. Wow. From the time we did the first marriage, it was already on the on the idea of doing it. So I know she had already started working on it. Oh, Wow conceptual stuff and then like I said the I don't know how long into it but we like secured the venue but it had to have been some time in advance like if that that wedding was in September so at least by the beginning of the year we had already locked the venue if I'm not mistaken so your first year of marriage is actually planning a wedding that has become a point of dissension planning a wedding um also starting a new restaurant well, well, no, the restaurant was part of it. No, the restaurant, I was, see, at that point in time, I knew I wanted to do a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up taking a job as the executive chef of Flower Child for six months. Okay. Which, at that point in time, I hadn't worked for somebody in that kind of structured system mm-hmm. since I had worked for Tracy at the restaurant okay. almost, you know, eight, nine years prior. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, now, you know, you, when you're working in that kind of setting, you got to get into the... Let me play yeah. by the rules. Flower Child, is is that the one in Uptown? Correct. Yeah. So I had read an article when I was looking at spaces, looking at opportunities. Because I hadn't found, I hadn't had the, the venue for taste. I was still trying to find stuff. And I was like, all right, I need to work. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the meantime, um, so I took the job on. I had read an article. They were trying to grow 100 stores in five years. And I was like, man, I ain't heard of that. So I was like, I need to go work there for a few months to understand it. Yes. So I can... Again, diving into something. I like the way research. you think. I like the way you, I'm so, going to go work for somebody, take notes, and you utilize yeah. that for my own business in the and, future. And literally, I had never, outside of my own concepts, mm-hmm. I had never been an executive chef for, like, somebody else's company. Yeah. And this is a very, they're based out of Arizona, you know, multiple concepts. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I just, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to get this job. Yeah. I went, interviewed, and got, it. got the job. Which yeah. There was probably way more qualified people on paper. Mm. They probably should have got the job instead of me. So, so during that six months, which was from, yeah, I started the weekend after July fourth, up in December. So it was new marriage, planning for a wedding, and then trying to operate in this new 
realm that's not normal to me because yeah. I'm normally beating at my own pace. You got a lot of newness going right. on. So, of course, you know, not that the tension was high, but it was just a lot to kind of deal with. And yeah, you've become acclimated to absolutely nothing at this point. Everything is you're having correct. to become acclimated yeah. to. Correct. And, you know, so there was some traveling involved with that, going to opening up other stores before the Houston store opened. There was a lot of pressure, but for me, it was still learning what I could learn. Mm -hmm. So I think that also probably played into yeah, definitely the did. sensitivity of the situation. Um, um, and, again, it's my first you navigating through the situation. Again, the idea of planning a wedding, being married, and it being super important. Mm -hmm. I'm also trying to now be this husband and be successful and, you know, work this job while still planning for the future. And, mm. you know, it's like, all right. I mean, I wouldn't, again, it's not that it bothered me. Yeah. It was just. It's a lot. This is what, this is what the job entails. But, you know, and then at the same time, we, we were, I think we were both, and I think probably most people do this. You go into marriage with this vision in your head that most people probably don't share with the other person mm -hmm. of what does being married looks like to you yeah, and vice versa. Like, Did you guys do counseling? No, we were supposed to do it with John Gray. Um, counseling is so important. It is. Yeah. But at the time, we were doing it with John Gray and Aventer. Then there was a little falling out of sorts, mm -hmm. and it never happened because John oh, wow. was also supposed to do the wedding. But, you know, it was a little situation there, and it just didn't happen, and we just didn't go into it. Wow. Um, which, again, we probably definitely, not probably, we definitely should have. Yes. Kind of ask those questions to make sure. Because I think even as much as like, me and John are still cool to this day, mm -hmm. I think just the trajectory and the time frame what we were doing, I know he probably looked at it and he was like, yeah, oh, we, need, we need to have a conversation. Just to Absolutely. And we just never had it. Um, and those would have been the questions that, I, you know, that I think should have been asked. And now, even now, when I meet people getting married, I'm like, yo, here go to right. y'all need to ask. Yes. You know I'm, I'm a full supporter of premarital counseling because when you're dating, you don't ask each other certain questions because it's mm -hmm. fun getting to know that person. You need a mediator to ask the tough questions so that you can, like, it's them asking the questions, but let's find out, like, how we feel about this going forward. Very true. Very true because they're trying to get perspective. And yeah. We had watched this sermon. Uh, I think we had both watched it with T.D. Jakes, and it was called Model Home. And the whole thing was talking about how when two people get married, it's your parents marrying their parents, mm. and you're going to basically emulate what you grew up seeing, whether you realize it or not. Mm. And then, like, when uh, it was like a two-part series, and then watching, I was like, man, I exactly see what he's talking about. Because, you know, I think sometimes people don't really dive into that aspect of the other person, really looking at how they grew up, looking at the relationship with their parents together, their relationship with their parents, to get an idea of whether they're saying it or not, okay, this may be part of their expectation of what marriage looks like. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you being able to do the same evaluation for yourself. So I think that was kind of the other part of it. Because, like, when I looked at it and when I found out that both of our parents were pastors, for yeah. me that was a plus because I don't, my mom's a very spiritual person, mm -hmm. my dad not so much. So I looked at it as, okay, this is somebody who's super spiritually grounded that I'll be able to learn and, kind of helped balance me out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't grow up reading the Bible and knowing scriptures. And I'm like, yo, she grew up <laughs> in this thing in church. And dad's still, like, I'm like, I can learn from yeah. that perspective and kind of be inspired because I just got out of a relationship learning from somebody who didn't have the same spiritual background as she mm. had, right? Um, so that was that. So it was really, but, you know, even bigger than that, and don't get me wrong, people, when I tell people I got divorced, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, yo, no, don't, don't. Don't feel sorry for me. 
No, let me tell you why. Because I'm a person that I, I, my success, I always say, is from me being able to pay attention to the mistakes and the growth. Mm-hmm. I learn way more when I mess up than when I do something right. Right. So even in this particular situation, I learned so much about not just what marriage really looks like and, you know, life lessons. I learned so much about myself that I think had I not been through it, mm-hmm. I wouldn't know to this day things about me that now have me in the most, when I tell people this last year and a half, has been the most peaceful, happiest time I've ever been in my life. So let me ask you this. How come you couldn't learn about yourself and learn lessons and stay married? Um, but I think what happens is you got to get to a place where you both realize that life is life and that mistakes going to happen and that it's a growth process. Right. And being able to accept it for what it is. And There's some grace it. that has to be extended. Grace and not taking things so personal. And a lot of times people are like, well, you got to take it personal. Like, you know, you cheat on your wife and you think your wife cheated on you. Like, you got to, like, yeah, you can't take it personal, but you, I think that's one of our biggest mistakes as people, right? You get two people that meet each other and... We think so highly of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, a, I'm a successful dude or like the terminology of women. I'm a bad, <laughs> therefore, I should be treated as such. Yeah. When you get two people that's coming together, they don't see what you see and you don't see what they see. Yeah. You see yourself. You know what I'm saying? So even when the mistakes are made, it's not because it was intentionally to hurt you. Yeah. It's people operating to the best of their ability to get through life. Yeah. And in the beginning of our relationship, there were some things that happened early. Yeah. That I just didn't know how to process. And I... And like I said, I heard some of the podcasts. I didn't hear all of it. So like in the beginning, when I first met my ex, she was dating another person, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I had really got to the point of feeling it to where I was. I had stopped. I kind of pulled back from everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she described the situation, it was kind of like, are we still friends and I'm still date? But it didn't seem as if it was something serious. So this may or may not get edited out. So the first time... We ended up having sex, mm-hmm. you know, at that point. Then I was really like, oh, I'm in. Like, we didn't cross that threshold. <laughs> I think this is everything I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Let me, you know, I'm going to change my number or something, right? <laughs> so later on, like later, later on down the line, shortly after, doing what some Negroes do at some point. I don't know if it was on a phone or something. To make a long story short, I found out that her and the person has sex the next day. So, but no, here's the thing though, right? In real in real life, because mm-hmm. we hadn't had a conversation about, hey, we together. Yeah. In hindsight 2020, there was nothing done wrong. Yeah, because it my, was still in the dating phase. I was in my feelings, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But at this point, I had had her like on this pedestal. Yeah. So then this happened, it's like, oh, somebody on this pedestal wouldn't do that. So, uh. took it down deep. I swallow it. Don't really. We had a brief conversation about it later, but it was like, oh, you can't be mad at that. Oh, I'm not going to be mad at it. I'm not even going to internalize it. So then that happens. And then there was a situation I think that, that y'all did talk about on the podcast. I can't remember. It was the, the phone call situation where yeah, when we, like I said, I moved into where she was staying. And it was a cool town home. That was one of the things. I go to a house and I'm like, yo, this house is, you tell there's a woman that lives here. <laughs> this spot is decorated. It is well taken care of. Yes. It's clean. And we all know my ex did not cook, so the kitchen was super clean. <laughs> but then bother me because I'm like, yo, I love cooking people. Right. I love. And I was like, all right, this gives me an example of what if we lived, if we moved, what the home gonna look like. Yeah. Was dead on. Yeah. Right? So, but in my mind, I had lived in nicer places, right? Mm-hmm. And we had had an instance one time. I think there was somebody on the property trying to break in places, and 
Hispanic dude or something crazy. And I was just like, uh, just from a safety perspective and me wanting more for, you know, the person that now at this point that I'm married to, mm-hmm. I was like, when this lease up, we moving. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I had gotten a job at Flower Child. It wasn't paying the greatest. I mean, I think I was making $85,000 or something, which mm-hmm. decent for Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, willingly, I was paying, based on my income, a majority of the bills. Like, I didn't pay the her, her truck note. I didn't pay, um, like, with, with her credit card bills. But anything dealing with the house, rent, stuff to that degree, now that I was, I had, like, two months or so, three months where I wasn't working, and I was still paying for stuff in L.A., and I was still paying for my son's school. So I was able to take care of all my stuff, but I wasn't. And we hadn't really officially moved in together at the time. But when it happened. But y'all were married. Uh, no, I'm saying the point when I wasn't paying anything. Okay, we weren't okay. married at the time. Uh, I was just kind of staying there back and forth. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because my lease was up in August. We got married in September. Wow. Um, so at that point, as soon as my income kind of got steady to where I was able to take care of all my personal stuff, and I paid as much as I could. And I was like, yo, we going to move. Here is the price point we need to stay at. Right. If I'm going to continue to pay everything. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Very simple conversation, right? Yes. That price might have been, again, my memory's bad. It might have been $2,025. might have been like $2,000. I don't know what it was. I think what we were at now, she was paying like seventeen. I took that over. Like, we can go to two twenty two fifty. And I was like, anything over that, I'm going to need help covering it because right. I'm on a fixed income. And I got to pay my son's school. We got a budget. We got a budget. <laughs> now, temporary, but... A budget is not a bad word. It's not. And you know what I'm saying? So, and that's one of the things where I think people kind of mess up a relationship. It's like, man, you get married to somebody, you got to trust yeah. the vision and the person. Yeah. To be able to be like, we may not be able to get that million-dollar house now. But yeah. I'm marrying somebody. They know my aspirations. I'm comfortable we're going to get there. Let's go through it. So, right. again, me being a Virgo. This is probably coming in with counseling as well, too, though. Right. Okay. If you're willing to, yeah, if you're willing to take heat. So, you know, me and my Virgo self, I'm normally a one-conversation person. And unless we have a different conversation, okay. I'm still on what we agreed upon. This is good to know. So, we're going to say it's, we're going to say it's 2250 was the budget. So, we looking at places. He starts sending me other places to look at, and I start, slowly start seeing. The budget has changed. 2250 here's 2500 <laughs> Here's twenty seven fifty. Here's oh three thousand bucks. Oh but in my mind, I'm like, that's cool. I'm gonna pay the majority. And then you, you pay the pay difference. You gonna pay the little seven six hundred, whatever the difference is. Okay. I ain't tripping. Okay, this makes sense now. Right in my mind. So we ended up selling on the spot that was, I think thirty five hundred dollars a month. Wow. Way over the budget. But again, way over the budget. But again, I know that I'm dealing with a very successful person who knows who that's still the difference is still less than what she was paying. Prior. So I'm yeah. like, left you want to do? I'm with it. Whatever we got to do. I ain't tripping. So did y'all have this conversation? Like, if we move here, you're going to pay the difference? No, because I feel like we already had it. Okay. Right? That's good to know, though. With In the- your mind, you've already had that conversation. Had In it. the beginning, you're right. under the impression that, you know, I'm not, I'm only paying this amount. So everything right. else, if you're showing this to me. You understand what the deal is, right? Okay. So we get in the space, and I think, you know, obviously when you're doing a private lease, you got to pay First and last. Right. So I think we ended up, just because of time and then the way funds were working, I think she might have paid half the deposit, and then I ended up paying the other half or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And then the first time it came up for rent to be paid, so I, I don't know why it happened that way, but for whatever reason, I was sending her the money so she could pay it. For whatever reason, I think I was at work or something. And then when I zelled it, you know, sometimes your zell limit is only a certain amount. Yeah. So I zelled whatever the maximum amount was. I get a text back, and 
it was something like, is this it or something? And I was just like, well, yeah, that's basically, I might have said that's all I can send a day, or I might have been like, yeah, in my mind still thinking they were understanding that there's yeah. a difference, right? So nothing thinking nothing of it. And then I come home that day. Yeah, it must have been the same day. And we had moved into this tall three-story townhouse. So I'm walking in. In the house garage, first floor was the kitchen and the living room. Mm-hmm. Bedroom on the third floor. So as I'm walking up towards the bedroom, I just hear on the phone, it's like going, talking. And I kind of, as I'm coming up, I start, can, I can already start telling what the conversation is. And she was just on the phone, just like, I don't know what he think this is. Mm. I ain't looking for no roommate. Like, this ain't what this is. I'm just going to have to get on Instagram and tell people it didn't work. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I already got to be drunk to sleep with him anyway. Oh, my gosh. Like, it was just, so I just sat down on the stairs and just started listening. Like, let me just. Wow. Let me just, because at first I was, I don't I ain't going to lie, I ain't know what to respond. I was just like, this is. Because in my mind, I'm still like, I'm married now. This is a month into the marriage. This is, and we moved into that spot in December. Two months. No, this is longer than that. At this point, this was after. Yeah, this is after the big wedding. Oh, okay. So we're over a year in at this oh, point. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, right. so we, we're in. This ain't okay. still new. So I just kind of sat. And you know, just kind of going in thing after thing, and wow. I, mean, I was hearing stuff that I didn't even that she never even shared with me. So I'm just like, damn, I don't even know you felt that way about me. Like, god dang, all right, <laughs> that's a messed up way. So I end up like, all right, that's enough. I get up, I go walk in the room. Of course, she sees me, hangs up the phone. I'm just like, yo, like, who was you talking to? And it was like, ah, oh, that was just my friend D. And in my mind, I'm like, yo, we've been together for almost two years now. I don't know your friend named D all of a sudden mm. that you that comfortable with talking Right. To. And it was like, oh, no, just somebody that, you know, in the past used to help me flip money or some other stuff because of this rent situation. I'm just like, I'm lost. I'm lost for a couple of reasons. One, like I said, because we went through this wedding situation that went way over budget that shouldn't have. Yeah. One. So yeah. either one of us being in a bind shouldn't have been right. that much in a sense. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I get it. And like I said, then coming from the place we had lived in previously, I've been paying the rent. Yeah. So, and not saying, you know, we never really had the conversation of, well, how much money you got in your account, how much I got in mine. It was always kind of separate. Counseling. Right. So, <laughs> you know, because in my mind, it was like, you could have a million dollars in your bank account. I'm still going to pay right. the rent if I can. Like, right. It's not contingent on what you're making. Uh, so, you know, we end up getting into it, obviously, arguing, heightened emotion. I'm upset. You know, I go from... Normally very calm and collect to when you emotional, you heard it, man, you you know, I'm probably pretty sure my voice is probably all happy yeah. and stuff, sounding like all crazy. Um, and but then it flipped from because I think I might have I might have like grabbed some hangers or something and threw it at the wall or something. Yeah. And in that moment it immediately switched to I'm the bad guy and, and she was the victim because of previous situations in her past. Oh, she was triggered. And it was like, I'm leaving and so it it went from any any kind of compassion, understanding me trying to figure out what I heard right. to now. No accountability. Going to, oh, wait, now I'm the bad guy because I do something. And now you leave and now I'm apologizing. This weird kind of thing. Yeah. And it just was a weird space. Yeah. You know? So, and at that time, I never had to process something like that. So when she was on the show, I, I interjected during that conversation. So I'm going to interject here again. Um when you get married, I'm just a strong, firm believer that any guy friend that I have, 
needs to be a guy friend of my husband. Right. Any female friend that he has needs to be a female friend of mine. But there's nobody that I call to talk about my marriage. Right. That That's rule number one. You know, we don't discuss our marriage. If we're going to discuss our marriage, we would talk to it with a counselor, someone who can help mediate the situation. And I'm not calling another man to ask him to financially help me. As a woman, I mean, there's no guy that's just handing over money because... You know, I have a podcast. There's normally something that a guy wants if he's giving me some money. And then if we're not in a relationship, then I have an understanding of what that is. My dad told me never accept money from a man unless that's your man. Right. So having that conversation with someone was wrong. Asking someone else to help financially was wrong. But also, like, why are we not having a clear communication, which you stated in the beginning, the communication was off. You have an understanding. She has this understanding. But it does it does sound like things changed after the wedding. So you're making a lot of sense. There should have been a savings that we can refer to if there is a problem with our finances because the priority is not a wedding. A priority is having a marriage after that day. Correct. And we've had that day, the day that's significant to God. So now we're doing this for our friends and family and in private. We got to be able to live Correct. together right. and enjoy each other. Well, we shouldn't be in no bind. Like At that. all. Yeah. Um, money is like the number one reason for divorce. Mm-hmm. And so hearing that money is probably what catapulted things in the new direction that the marriage is now heading makes a lot of sense. Well, see, but no, but that's that honestly, that wasn't the case either. So it wasn't the money that was the problem. Well, let, me, let me tell you why. You're listening to In Their Closet featuring Don Bowie. Don Bowie. Tune in next time for Party with a Podcast, part three. Anticipated finale. 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 finale.